Good afternoon. This is Jennifer Scheich with Ask Aces, and we just finished another great Twitter chat titled, Why Does My Dog Do That? As you know, dogs may be known as man's best friend, yet we still have issues understanding our four-legged family members at times. Knowing how to communicate with one another can help dispel myths and solve issues that may lead to companion animals ending up in shelters. We're very excited to welcome Department of Animal Sciences experts Laura Davis, a companion animal behavior specialist, Dr. Amy Fisher-Brown, a teaching associate and extension specialist, and Sarah Albert, a teaching associate in the department, to the Ask Aces podcast today. To start off with ladies, can you please tell us a little bit about what you do in the Department of Animal Sciences? Amy? Thank you. Uh, I've been in the department since 2005, and I am a teaching associate and extension specialist. I teach courses related to companion animal biology and management, as well as companion animal policy and animal shelter management. And I also oversee our undergraduate internship program with our local Humane Society. And I'm Laura, and as Jennifer mentioned, my expertise is in companion animal behavior. I actually went to graduate school at the University of Illinois and received a degree from the School of Integrative Biology with a specialization in companion animal behavior. And now I work in animal sciences as an instructor. Hi, I'm Sarah. Um, I've been a student in the department uh, and now a teaching associate in the department, focusing on companion animals and the human-animal bond in several of my classes, um, including companion animal outreach and cruelty investigations and just general interactions with um, other animals. And I've been involved with companion animals for a really long time before I was even a student at the university and teaching. Um, I'm involved with shelters beyond what I do in the classroom as well. So I've been involved with companion animals for a really long time. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. We had a really fun time on the chat today with lots of questions from dog owners uh, seeking your expertise. But now I kind of want to break things down a little bit bigger picture with you guys. And I, to start things off, Amy, could you talk a little bit about some of the most common problem behaviors that we see in dogs today? Sure. A lot of the more common behaviors we see can be lumped into two general categories, one being those unruly uh, rambunctious behaviors like jumping up on people, mouthing, puppy biting, pulling on the leash, that sort of thing. And those can uh, often be mitigated with training. Then we also see a lot of boredom behaviors that might stem from dogs being left alone for a long time and maybe not having enough mental or physical stimulation. These might be things like destructive chewing or excessive barking. So Laura, what are some simple ways that we can address some of these common problem behaviors in dogs? Well, training really is the best way to address any unruly or rambunctious behavior. There are a lot of simple exercises that owners can do at home to help promote a well-mannered dog. Many times these exercises are referred to as like, say please exercises or impulse control exercises. And the basic idea is to use everyday rewards such as going for a walk or getting fed or getting um, a toy and use those everyday rewards but rather than allowing your dog to say jump up and grab the toy out of your hand you're asking for a sit and a wait and then you throw the toy for the dog so it's a great way to just kind of incorporate training into their everyday lives and then another common problem behavior that amy mentioned was boredom and general being left alone um, and that really can be addressed by either providing more physical activity or providing mental stimulation to, with your dog. So physical activity, um, I really love playing two, two ball fetch with a dog. 
right? Where you have two toy retrieve or multiple different toys so that the dog is encouraged to bring it back. Or there's um, great devices now. They have something called a third pool, which is basically like a, a wand toy for a dog. And so it's great for dogs that love to chase toys and they can run and get their energy out, but they don't necessarily have to be trained to retrieve and bring the toy back to you. In terms of mental stimulation, training again is a great way. And then also things like, um, so many times people have many toys for their dogs at home, but certainly having toys like a Kong or something that they can in some ways unstuff or de-stuff, similar to they, as they would a couch. Uh, but instead of your couch, let's have it be an appropriate thing like a toy. Today's job description for most dogs is just a couch potato, but these dogs were actually, most of them, bred to work and have with a job to do. So a lot of times these problem behaviors that we see, being left alone, destructive chewing, for example, are just purely due to boredom. So Sarah, what are some misconceptions out there about how dogs interact with us? Yeah, I think one of the most common misconceptions are that dogs are wolves. And dogs are certainly domesticated wolves and have been domesticated for thousands of years, but they are clearly no longer wolf-like in their behavior. And we've done that through selective breeding over time. Um, and a lot of this is, you know, based off of a lot of popularity in the media recently with things like dominance theory and alpha roles as punishment for dogs. And there's this idea that dogs are always trying to be dominant over us. And that's not to say that social dominance doesn't happen within wolves or dogs, but not in the context that we tend to think of. Um, dogs can be situational about dominance. So you can have a dog being dominant over another dog in a situation, uh, maybe over a toy that they really like or over food that they both really like. So you can actually have one dog be dominant over another in a situation, but that role can flip in a different situation. So it's not that always one dog is dominant over the other in every situation. Um, and a lot of the misconception comes from um, past studies of captive wolves in the 30s and the 40s. Um, where people were studying wolves kept in zoos that were kind of artificial packs that were put together by people. Um, and what was observed was that there was a lot of conflict and fighting amongst those wolves. And the thought was that this is how wolves act. The downside to that is that now that we've studied wolves in the wild, we know that the alpha male and female are just the parents. Um, and the pack tends to be more of a family and so the parents are the oldest and then everybody below them are our family and siblings and offspring and eventually they leave the pack and form their own um, and conflict tends to be far more rare than we originally thought and cooperative natures are more common cooperation is important in wolves and is an important part of being a social species and it's actually what made dogs a perfect partner for humans over time so dogs are just really programmed to want to work with us, to want to cooperate with us, to please us, they want to make us happy. And most of the issues that we see um, with dogs is a lack of communication and understanding. So the dog obviously doesn't understand our language, what we're asking, and as Laura has talked about, um, a lot of that is teaching dogs what we want from them um, and them understanding what we want from them. And so uh, a lot of the popular media has talked about, you know, being dominant over your dog, or if your dog is misbehaving, that your dog is trying to dominate you and that you have to be stronger and more forceful. And really what that does is it makes the dog less trusting of the owner. 
mainly because a lot of our body communication and social cues are very different. We're not dogs. Dogs aren't people. We communicate differently. And so uh, a lot of those forceful corrections seem to come out of nowhere to dogs. And so they, they get nervous, they get fearful. And so you can see aggression really increase in those situations because the dog is fearful and doesn't understand what's happening. So positive reinforcement isn't our only tool, but it, it is very helpful. Um, and in the right contexts, other training techniques work, but uh, the idea of forcefully dominating over your dog is outdated and not very justified in the science. So Laura, what are some things that owners can do to enrich the lives of their dogs that they keep as exclusively as companions? Well, in general, mental and physical exercise combined with a structured routine are great ways to enrich your dog's life. Um, I guess I would say I'm a dog trainer at heart, so I'm a major proponent of incorporating training into your everyday routine. Um, it can be a great source of enrichment for dogs. As Sarah mentioned, you know, dogs really do strive to please they um so that you know if you can provide some structure for them things like uh, asking them to sit before you feed and i'm not not saying that it needs to be the same thing every day but um, have some realistic expectations of what you want from your dog um, you can know your dog's strengths you know what does he like what does he dislike and so if your dog really loves going on walks but maybe he pulls like crazy on walks um, you know reach out there are many resources that can provide you with uh, maybe it's something as simple as using a special type of harness um, to reduce pulling in your dog and then you can do those things that your your dog enjoys and that can be a great tool to really enrich your dog's life um, being able to take him on walks using a no pull harness so have you ever experienced a situation where the problem behavior cannot be fixed Unfortunately, yes. I would say, you know, yes and no to this this question. Um, it's maybe not a straightforward answer, but but most owners that I work with tell me things like, uh, you know, he's a great dog, he's really sweet most of the time, but or you know, I hear ninety five percent of the time he's great. So really, it's the other five percent of the time that that their dog is a problem. Maybe it's only when visitors come over that he only jumps on grandma or you know doesn't jump on me but he jumps on the kids or he's displaying that unruly rambunctious behavior with certain people in the family or um, but in general you have a your most people will tell me that their dog is really well behaved um, we also got some in the twitter chat we got a question about uh, a dog that was fearful and aggressive towards visitors and I, I hear that a lot that you know my dog is great he loves most of the family um but when we have visitors come over, uh, the dog can behave aggressively. And I think part of that goes back to having our those realistic expectations about our dogs and um, possibly not trying to change their personality and recognizing that you know each dog is an individual. Just because your last dog was a social, butter social butterfly doesn't necessarily mean that this next dog is. Um, I can think of, so I had a, a dog similar to the one that we heard from in the Twitter chat where the dog was friendly with all the family members, the grandkids, you know, thing, people like that that she knew that came over, um, but would behave fearful and sometimes aggressively towards strangers that came to the house. And they ended up contacting me because the dog bit a repair person that had come into their home. And, you know, something as simple as that. So my first suggestion when we talked about training techniques is just 
not, not necessarily a training technique, but just pure management. Um, so if you, if you have a dog that you know is not comfortable around new people or strangers, you know, recognize that limitation of your dog and try not to put them in that situation. So one thing that we suggested in the Twitter chat was to just simply put the dog in a separate room or in a safe place where the dog feels comfortable. Um, and then depending on who it is, if it's someone that is a dog lover and you know will be respectful of your dog, you know, then maybe once they're settled in and seated, you can let the dog out. Maybe not, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, I work with many, many people just on developing realistic expectations. So yes, there have been situations, uh, you know, I think that um, most often when we're talking about anxiety or aggression, the behavior is never really going to be fixed because that's part of your dog's genetics and personality and the environment and you know that's um so being fixed uh is maybe not the right way to say it but certainly manageable and certainly improved and certainly you can find a way that is um that you can live with that behavior so a couple of years ago my son who was seven at the time told me that he wanted a baby brother and when I told him that probably wasn't going to be happening anytime soon, he said, okay, I'll take a dog. So really he wants a dog and he's found a lot of creative ways to request having a dog, but um, there's a lot that goes into owning a dog. And Amy, I was just wondering, could you share some advice for people who may be thinking about getting a dog? What should you consider first? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I think you know, as we've mentioned a few times today, having the realistic expectations and understanding that this is a, a separate species. So there is some learning to do about the biology and behavior of these animals and so that we're able to provide, you know, a home in which they're comfortable. The human-animal bond is really an incredible thing, and if we could all benefit from it, the world would be a great place. But there's just, um, there are some things to think about, um, you know, because we have to think about the dog in that situation too. So we need to think about, are we able to provide what this animal needs in terms of being a social species and needing the time? You know, if if we're in a situation where we are gone 12 hours a day or if the animal has to be outside and away from people for the majority of the time, then, you know, rethink whether it's the best thing to do for that dog. We also see a lot of people struggle with the financial aspects of having animals, and certainly the veterinary relationship is one that's important but also can be extremely expensive. And so we encourage families and, and individuals to really think about um, the financial aspects and do some research ahead of time with you know how much is food going to cost how much is veterinary care and other things like training or boarding or daycare going to cost and and so we really just want people to to stop and and think about whether or not they are in a position and a time in their life to provide a great home for the dog because oftentimes we just think about what we want to get from having a dog in our lives and i think the healthiest relationships come when we really think recognize it as a two-way street so Sarah, if we decide to get a dog, do you have any suggestions on where we should start? Yeah, so, you know, my general point is, you know, always kind of start with your local shelters and rescues because we have a lot of dogs that need homes. And you can find puppies, you can find adults, you can find seniors. If seniors are more your speed, sometimes they're more my speed. <laughs> and, um, you know, you can, you can find mixed breeds, you can find purebreds. So there's a lot to, to really look for there. And the next thing you kind of want to consider, do I want a puppy or do I want an adult? Um, puppies are great in that they're little sponges that absorb everything. But the downside is, is that we don't really know what their adult personality will turn out like. So it's 
it's kind of a bargain. You know, you have to kind of take take the pros with the cons there. With an adult dog, you generally know what you're getting in some respects, not entirely, but you have more of a picture of what the dog will be like because they're already an adult. You can kind of get an idea if they're going to be good with people, with other dogs, in different situations. And so you can look at that. And of course, a lot of people will, will think about getting certain purebred dogs because they've heard things that, you know, this breed is really good with kids or families and this breed is, you know, this way or that way. And, and of course, there are breed specific types of behaviors that we do see through selective breeding, but there is a lot of variability within breed. And we have to always remember that dogs are individuals. And so always make sure that you remember that and understand that, that just because you get a dog of a certain breed, it will not always behave one way or another, that there are a lot of environmental factors. It's nature and nurture that, that play a role in our dog's personality. And I would just add that once you have this dog or not have this dog Jennifer but if you <laughs> once you have this dog that um, other recommendations is you know just reach out and don't be afraid to ask for help if a problem behavior comes up any age dog you know it's never too late to take a dog to training class you can teach an old dog new tricks, and there are a lot of free resources in many communities um, even last fall Sarah and I helped moderate a pet help desk um, and the students kind of ran an email help desk where people would write in with behavior questions but there are things like that all over uh, in different communities whether it's your local shelter or humane society um, there's a lot of information on the internet but I find that you know you can um, sometimes you can get bad advice from the internet so uh, reach out and don't be afraid to ask for help from your local resources. Well, this has been super helpful personally, and I hope for the people listening today. You know, to wrap it up, what are some of the basic things, I guess, um, that you could advise us to do to make our lives with our dogs even better? Sarah? Well, I would just say, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, dogs are individuals that just get to know your dog for who they are. And part of that is the management key that Laura has talked about in knowing your dog's strengths and weaknesses and really working with them on that to make your life and their lives happier um, and remembering that they're dogs not people and kind of trying to see the world from their point of view and remember that they don't see the world from our point of view they see it from a dog perspective and so they're trying to understand you I promise but the language barrier kind of prevents that sometimes <laughs> so help your dog out a little bit yeah and dogs are meant to make our lives better and you know if your dog is miserable if you are miserable say for example you can't have friends come over or you can't leave town because of your dog's behavior right um reach out and there are certainly a lot of resources available so like sarah said know your dogs as an individual and um, if something's not working you know there's always uh, a way to change that and i would build on what sarah said too to you know really remember that dogs are dogs and, and try to look at the world and from their perspective and i think about this a lot when i'm walking my dogs and i have scent hounds so they like to stop and sniff and sometimes we're sniffing for 10 minutes and I, I'm like, come on guys, we're walking. But then I try to remind myself they're getting so much stimulation and happiness from sniffing that ground right now. And so I, I feel better that um, when I think about it from their perspective, I, I'm a little more lenient about you know, helping them be happy. You know, as I think about what we do here in the College of Aces and particularly what you guys are all doing in the Department of Animal Sciences, it's really exciting. And I think that there's so many career opportunities that 
uh, prospective students haven't even considered. And so as I listen to the things that you're doing and hear more about your programs, um, I guess I'm just very excited for the opportunities that that prospective students have. And so I guess, do you have any advice about um, what students who might be interested in doing something like you do or pursuing a career in um, the dog industry or companion animal industry, what are some things that they should start thinking about or could they do here at the University of Illinois? Well, one thing that I'd really like to emphasize that that I get really excited about, honestly, is how much more sophisticated the field of shelter medicine and shelter management is now. Uh, I think far too many people have the misconception that the only career for you in a shelter is to you know, clean kennels and walk dogs, and that's absolutely not the case. It's, it's a much more advanced and sophisticated profession than it used to be, and we see a lot of our students um, enter the sheltering and animal protection field and have very satisfying careers, and especially if they're coming through our program and they have a bachelor's in animal sciences, uh, they're really going to work their way through the ladder of that field, and so I, I just want to help people realize that that's, that's an exciting career path for our students now far more than it used to be. And building off of that is, you know, the growing pet industry, too. There's there's so many careers out there, you know, even with things that like Laura does, is helping strengthen the human-animal bond by helping keep pets in homes with their people. And so that's a career avenue as well. And I guess my advice to students would be, or future students would be, get out there and get your hands dirty a little bit. Volunteer at a shelter, job shadow with a trainer. And get varied experience. You know, not every shelter is exactly the same. Not every trainer does the exact same thing. So try to get as much experience as you can, um, just so you can see what you like, what you don't like, what you're interested in, what you're passionate about. And so get out there and, and do some stuff. <laughs> and along with what Sarah just said, I mean, with the economy, it, it doesn't matter what's happening with the economy. People continue to spend more and more on their animals every year. So this is a field that's truly growing, and there will be career opportunities for um, a long time to come because people love their animals, they're part of our family, and so we can we love fitting our students into that, that career puzzle. Excellent. It's been so great visiting with you guys today. I appreciate the time. I know you're busy, but thanks for all you do for the department and our college and this industry. Uh, thanks to all of you for listening to Ask ACES today. We'll talk to you next month.